0: You're listening to the Marietta Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast. Today's message comes to us from the associate pastor of Marietta Seventh-day Adventist Church, Luke Steen. Sabbath, a rhythm of rest. I did not grow up as a Sabbath keeper. I did not become a Sabbath keeper until I was the age of 19. And I was stoked about Sabbath because my grandparents, my grandparents, they were Sabbath keepers. And so I remember going and moving in with them and and seeing their their weird uh, kind of practices that they had, which I thought were weird, but now I've just adopted into my own life. But every Saturday that would come, every Sabbath, I would get so excited. But there's a big reason why, and we're going to discover that today. If you were to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16, uh, in the Pew Bibles, that is page 62 in front of you, we're going to actually be looking at the first usage of the word Sabbath in the Bible. Exodus chapter 16. This is a powerful chapter. See, in the book of Exodus, you have... Uh, this, you, you just kind of arrive at this scene of a nation that is enslaved. And if you read Genesis, which is kind of like the preface of the Bible, you would understand how, a, how one man became a family, became a nation, and then that nation ended up in slavery. But Exodus just comes right into it. They're enslaved. But God, hearing their groanings of being in slavery, comes and delivers them through a mighty act of just sheer oh, i don't even know the word magnitude majesty it's just amazing and so he brings this nation out of slavery in fact they in chapter 14 exodus 14 they walk across dry ground in the midst of the red sea he parts a sea as his exclamation point as they leave a nation That was forcing them to live a rhythm that was not the ideal. And then you have Exodus 15 where they're singing this song of deliverance. And then we arrive on the scene, Exodus chapter 16. If you're there, say amen. We're going to be picking up in verse 1. It says that they set out from Elim. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we would have died uh, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Israel is hangry. we got biblical hangriness going on. This spiritual high that they had in being delivered has worn off, and reality starts to set in. They've just gone through this miracle, uh, this miracle after miracle after miracle, these plagues, but they were untouched. And they come out into freedom, and yet they're longing to go back into slavery because they're uncomfortable. And sometimes we as Christians, God will do something magnificent for us. He'll bring deliverance, but it's uncomfortable. And we go through this religious high, but then all of a sudden reality starts to come, we come back down to earth a little bit. And then all of a sudden we go back to our vices because it's what's comfortable. So we might go back to the rhythm of our life after God gives us a new rhythm. In fact, in Exodus chapter 16 verse 4, picking up it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold... I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Now, when I read this, when I first read this, I said, now, hold on a minute. This, this paints a picture of God saying, I'm going to lay a trap, and they're going to stumble, and I'm going to be like, got em. That doesn't paint the picture of of the God that I see through the person of Jesus very well. A God that is out to get us? I don't don't think so. So what kind of test is this? Well, they're told that God is going to rain down this bread from heaven, and on the sixth day they are to prepare it and bring it in. It will be twice as much as they gather. But then in verse 6 it says, So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And so fast forward to verse four, uh, 13. And so the evening came. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine a flake-like thing, finest frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. God meets their need. No more hangriness going on, because God provided. And so in verse 16, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, a specific amount, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent or home. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, This is a common theme in the history of Israel. And I would say it's a common theme in our Christian experience where God might say something to us and we might doubt it. We might just say, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure because how are we going to survive in, in our circumstances? How are we going to survive? And so we take our own survival into our own hands and we try to live out our own lives at our own pace or our own rhythm. And that leads to exhaustion. It leads to burnout. It leads to depression. It leads to addiction. It leads to uh, broken marriages, broken relationships. It leads to suicide. It leads to many things that are ungodly just by our own inclination to self-preserve at our own pace because we might doubt what God is going to do. But here we see the first use of the word Sabbath in the Bible. Verse 22 and 23. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy, what? Sabbath Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Praise the Lord. Moses said, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath of the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. But, as Israel often does, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. The Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in this place, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. God tested Israel. It's a test. I don't do good with tests. Well, actually, I do really good with tests. But if I don't know that it's a test, then I'll do bad. Because I'll kind of just rely on, I don't know, just whatever I could make up. On. I remember one time in an assignment, I tore off one of the questions because I didn't know how to answer it and I drew a picture of a shark and I wrote a little note saying a shark bit this piece off so I couldn't answer it. I of course got it wrong, but this is I just tried whatever I could if a test was sprung on me. I want to be prepared for a test. But Israel, they've just been delivered from slavery and God seeks to teach them the first thing about freedom and it is every seventh day you will have a Sabbath. But it's not a a forceful thing. It is a gift. It is a rhythm of grace. It will never take a vacation. It will never take a day off. It will never be a little bit late. It will always be there. It's a rhythm of grace so that we can live lives of freedom. Now, I understand this as a a former athlete who played uh, rather high-level ice hockey. Um, All athletes have this in common. All athletes, they practice the fundamentals, and as you get better and you move up levels, you get better at implementing those fundamentals at a higher pace. But the elite-level athletes recognize that there will be other elite-level athletes that might be better at some of the fundamentals than you. And so the greatest athletes all have one thing in common. It doesn't matter what sport it is, tennis, basketball, Uh, table tennis, ping-pong, canoeing, water polo, ice hockey, doesn't matter. All elite level athletes are able to gain one thing and that is a tiny bit of separation. They change their pace to get a tiny bit of separation so that then they can perform fundamentals of the sport at a faster pace after they've caught the opponent or whatever off guard by their change of pace. They get a tiny bit of separation. That is what elite level athletes do. And so a God, Jesus, is teaching Israel to be an elite liver, somebody who lives their life at an elite level, you will keep a Sabbath. It is a gift. It is a change of pace from the rhythm of other cultures. You'll be different. You'll be elite at living. But this is a big struggle for us because so many things compete with our time. In fact, A a Jewish scholar by the name of Abraham Joshua Heschel, he says this in his great tome called the Sabbath. He says, Gallantly, ceaselessly, quietly, man must fight for inner liberty to remain independent of the enslavement of the material world. Inner liberty depends upon being exempt from the domination of things as as uh, as well as from domination of people. There are many who have acquired a high degree of political and social liberty, but only very few are not enslaved to things. This is our constant problem. How to live with people and remain free. How to live with things and remain independent. Abraham Joshua Heschel essentially says, we're bad at getting that separation. We're bad at that change of pace. But in his book, The Sabbath, his proposal, his solution, is to Sabbath. To keep a Sabbath. And you will struggle with this Less. Anyone? Try, try this at home. Uh, perhaps the first thing that you do in the morning is you look at your phone. So try tomorrow when you wake up to not look at your phone for at least an hour and just see how hard it is. Perhaps you just immediately check email. Perhaps you immediately wake up and you go get a cup of coffee. Perhaps you immediately get up and you turn on the news or you start to check sports scores or you call your best friend. Who knows what your morning routine is, but when you wake up, just maybe make a note of what is your natural morning routine, and then just try to do it differently for maybe like two days, three days. It'll be really hard. And chances are you'll find out that you just naturally do it. Why? Because you've enslaved yourself to that rhythm. That's just what you've done. It might not even be a bad thing. Or perhaps when you get home from work, the first thing you do, if you're like me, is you go straight to the fridge. You could have just ate, but you still get home, you go straight to the fridge. I mean, that is such a bad habit of mine. I go to a friend's house, and I go straight to the fridge. I could, have just ha- I could have just had a buffet still. it's just I just check out the fridge. Okay, what are my options for later? It's just, it's just a natural habit. It's a natural rhythm that I have. I've enslaved myself to it. And so am I truly free? I want to say so. Not true freedom. I struggle to gain this separation. Abraham Joshua Heschel, he says we struggle. So the Sabbath... It's an interesting thing. I actually had the opportunity to present at Dominion Christian High School, a non-denominational, well, I guess it's a non-denominational Christian school. Uh, There are many grades, and they wanted an Adventist pastor to come and present. And I remember walking in, and I see this chart of all of these Adventist, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, um, wait, 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 I see this chart, and it's all these Christian denominations, and on the side there's the word Christian with a question mark, And I think, well, man, I've heard jokes about how Seventh-day Adventists are sometimes over here on this side with the Christian question mark. So I was like, okay, well, it'll probably be there. It wasn't. It was awesome. We were with everyone else. It was great. So so I get to share as to why I became a Seventh-day Adventist and what we believe. And one of the very first questions that I got asked was, why the Sabbath? And I told them, I said, look, I want to be elite at living. I want to be elite. I want to be able to live life just better than everyone else. And it's just because I'm competitive and I just want that. I want to be elite at living life. And God gave Israel the first gift out of of slavery, this gift of the Sabbath, so that they could begin to live life in freedom at an elite level. So I took them to Exodus 16. Then... I had many questions come up, but I got to share with them this, this verse, uh, Mark 2:27: "The Sabbath was not made for man, or was not yeah, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath." How it's, it's a gift. It's a rhythm of grace for us. In fact, there are many scholars, many Christians, who have started to produce literature on the Sabbath. These are books that have been published in like no more than the last five years. Because Christians are fascinated with this concept of Sabbath. Because Christian leaders are starting to realize, wait, we're burning out. We're not able to, why aren't we living life? Why aren't we living that abundant life that Jesus promises? Why are we struggling so much? And they're going back to the Bible and they're finding this thing called Sabbath. In fact, this last book, his, uh, John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, that's actually not even out yet. Hasn't even gone to, gone to press yet. But he's a pastor out in Portland, Oregon, one of the most, if not the most secular city in all of North America, where you would not expect to find many Christians. And he pastors a very Orthodox, evangelical church where we could show up on a Sunday to their church gatherings and it would almost not be very much different, except for they wouldn't say Happy Sabbath when you walk in. I'm not sure what they would say. But I've actually had a conversation with him and he thanked. Me, our faith tradition, the Seventh-day Adventist faith tradition, because the Sabbath saved his marriage, prevented him from burnout, and has allowed him to reject a megachurch model and to focus on actually being a church. And he keeps a Seventh-day Sabbath every Seventh-day. But these are non-Adventist Christians who are producing literature on the Sabbath because people are starting to realize... That the Sabbath is a gift, a rhythm of grace, and it comes every seventh day. Now, I'm not here to persuade you about the, se- the Sabbath being the seventh day. We have, we have studies for that. We have a discipleship course uh, that we, I would love to talk to you if you have any questions about it. Um, but that would be a sermon for another time. In fact, I think the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been really quite good at sharing that the seventh day is the Sabbath. Um, in presenting a biblical case for it. I could understand how some people, depending on who shared with them, would say, nah, that's wrong. Um, But I mean, I definitely think there's a lot of compelling evidence for a Seventh-day Sabbath. But instead, what I think we haven't done is explain how one would Sabbath. And this came to my attention when I was a student at Southern Adventist University, and a chaplain came from another university and preached for their Friday Night Vespers program. And he shared a story on how over a, over a summer, one of his students, somebody that he knew dearly, somebody that worked in the chaplain's office, had drowned. And how he was just gripped with grief. And how as he was with the family, going through the mourning process, they, the family received an email from some church member that barely knew this family, saying something like this, maybe it wouldn't have happened if she hadn't been in water on Sabbath. And I heard that, And I said, something has to change because there are many people, many individuals who would get angry with one another over how should one Sabbath. And so we've just said, we're not going to talk about it whenever I think we should. So how would one keep a seventh-day Sabbath if they wanted to? Well, I think there are two places that we can go to gain some Sabbath values. The first is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. This is in the Ten Commandments. This is in God's law that he wrote with his own hand. And he says this. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God says, hey, change a pace. Every seventh day we're not going to work. We're not going to work. We're not going to require others to work for us. We're not going to ask them to clean our businesses. We're not going to ask them to, to wait on us. We're, we're going we're gonna to give them rest as well. We're going to actually give our animals rest as well. We're going to rest. We're going to stop. We're going to have a change of pace. And we want other people to as well. Because we want to live in this rhythm of grace that allows us to be elite level livers. But it also says why. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is not a day for us to just have a, a, a staycation. It's not just, okay, we're just going to take off. We're just not going to do anything. We're going to just sit at home. That's, that's, not, that's not what it's intended for. It's intended to stand back in awe of God as the creator. To look at him and be like, God, why would you ever make something like a cicada? Or, God, why would you make a giraffe look the way that it looks? It's to stand back and think, God, you are such a magnificent creator. And because you're the creator, and because I'm the creature, no matter how much I mess up, you can recreate me. And so it's a day to remind ourselves that we're created. That we don't have to have everything in control, because we are the creature, and he's the creator. And he can recreate. But there's another account of the Ten Commandments that talk about the Sabbath found in Deuteronomy. It says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You were a slave. You were enslaved. You might not have been an Israelite, enslaved to Egypt, but we've been enslaved to sin. And we accept Jesus and he delivers us. And then he gives us an alternative rhythm to help us not step back into those ways of slavery. And he says... You shouldn't ask somebody else to operate at an alternative rhythm because if we really care, we want everyone to be living a life on a rhythm of grace, stepping into the Sabbath. I dream that the whole town of Marietta and Kennesaw were to be closed on Sabbath because we were all here at church, worshiping as a family. That's my prayer. That's my dream. I ask God for that regularly because that would be so cool. Can you imagine? Like You go anywhere and everyone's like, hey, happy Sabbath, Bill. Hey, happy Sabbath, Luke. Hey, happy Sabbath, Leland. Hey... That would be awesome. I would love that. But why? It's because he redeemed us. And so it's not just a day to stand back and be like, wow, God, you are a magnificent creator. I can be recreated, but also to recognize the cost to redeem us. God, why would you do so much for me when you know that later this week I'm going to say I'm not going to look at my phone first thing in the morning and then I'm going to wake up and all of a sudden I'm going to be on my phone and I'm going to be like, ah, man. And yet you would still pay such a cost to redeem me when I'll submit so easily to other things. It's a day to stand back and say, God, thank you. So, what could one do then on Sabbath? Is it just a day to spend in prayer? Is it just a day to spend all day reading your Bible? I will tell you outright, I have tried that, and it is really hard because I struggle to concentrate for super long hours. I struggle with high energy. Can anyone relate? I struggle with high energy. So for me, sitting down, I love to read, but to sit down and just read, or to sit down and just pray, I'm going to eventually fall asleep, and then I'm going to feel worse, and then it's going to be another cycle. So what could we do on Sabbath to make it something that is just amazing? Well, we created some Sabbath values. They're actually on our website under our beliefs section, mariettaadventist.org, and then you just go to the beliefs, and it's a tab that drops down. But here are some values. Stop. We stop. We stop from working for ourselves and our own pleasure. And we stop from having others work for us. We stop. We just, everyone else keeps going, but we stop. We stop. We don't work. We don't, we don't try to uh, attain some level of uh, hierarchy in society on Sabbath. And we don't have others serve us involuntarily. So husbands, you can't ask your wife to say, well, you know, you got to cook because it's Sabbath and I'm terrible at cooking. You don't ask for anything involuntarily because it's supposed to be a day of freedom. We rest. We rest from work to focus on God as our Redeemer, recognizing the free gift of grace. We give others rest from working on our behalf, valuing them as God's children and seeking to give them the rest that God grants us every seventh day. And we rest from worry, stress, selfish pursuits, and hurry. We delight. This one is often forgotten. We delight in intentional fellowship, choosing to participate in fellowship that will help us grow in our understanding of God and his love for us. So we choose and this has been difficult for me because I've had several invitations to, to just the things that are on Saturday from a lot of my friends that I have that aren't Sabbath keepers. And I've been put in a place where, okay, now wait a second, I really value my day with God. I love Sabbath. It's my favorite day of every single week. But I also love my friends and I want my friends to come to know Jesus. So what do I do? Do I go to be a witness? Even if it might compromise part of the Sabbath? what do I do? And so instead, this is, this is the middle ground that I have found. I ask for you to just go home and pray about it whenever you're in a situation. I have just told them, hey, you know that I'm a, a Sabbath-keeping Christian, and that I love you, and here are my Sabbath values, and so if, if, if this fits, I will be there. I love you. They know that, but I love God more. And if I'm, not gonna, if I'm the only Christian they know and I don't stand up for something that I really believe in, what happens when I finally get the opportunity to witness to them about what Jesus has done for them? It'll be hard. We delight in intentional fellowship, choosing to participate in fellowship that will help us grow in our understanding of God and His love for us. We embrace a childlike trust in God as Savior and provider and therefore can finally really let go and rest. And we play. Ooh, this one's my favorite. We play in creation, learning more about our loving God who is the creator. Have you ever thought about what the first Sabbath would have been in the Garden of Eden, the first seventh day? Adam and Eve is really their first day, and all of a sudden they have this perfectly made field to run around. They don't have to worry about stepping on a sticker or getting poison ivy or getting attacked by ants, maybe. I don't know. I I think there are probably ants in heaven, but they probably wouldn't have bit you. Um, So can you imagine playing freeze tag with Jesus? Can you imagine playing in creation with the creator? Every Sabbath, we get an opportunity to think about what that would be like, and we get an opportunity to participate in playing with God, intentionally accountable, knowing that he's there with us as we're out in creation. So this is the thing, church. Can you break the Sabbath by being in water, by swimming on, can you break the Sabbath by swimming on Sabbath? Yes. Can you break the Sabbath by going to church on Sabbath? Yes. It is not about actions. It's about your heart. You keep Sabbath through your heart, not through what you do, and your heart will guide you to actually being able to keep Sabbath. So yes, you can go swimming and you can break Sabbath. You can go swimming and you can just be in awe thinking about how God created oceans and how that's the new frontier. We actually know more about space than oceans and how we're going to continually learn more about God through oceans. And so you can be just thinking about that and being drawn closer to Him or you could be like, you know, piddle paddling, you know, and, and, and just kind of whatever being super obnoxious and not even caring about God. Two alternatives, same activity. It's about your heart, just like you can be in church and not actually be glad to be there. But you're in church on Sabbath, doesn't mean you're keeping Sabbath. The Sabbath is supposed to be a day of delight, of play, and of worship. You see, we worship God in song and music. We worship God by serving others and bringing about his restoration. And we worship God by spending intentional time with him in prayer and scripture. We're going to worship God this week as we go and we help this young couple renovate their house, Chip and Joanna Gaines style. I'm thinking raising some entryways. You know, I, I've only seen one episode, so I tried. I tried, guys. I tried. We're, we worship. We worship on Sabbath. But worship means a relationship that has supreme worth. And so if you're just going through the motions, if you're just white-knuckling your way through it, I'm sorry, but you're not keeping Sabbath because your heart might be away. But the only way we come to the place where our heart allows us to actually keep Sabbath is to stand back and recognize that we were created and that we erred and that God could have said, okay, I'll recreate and none of us would be here. But instead he paid a supreme, infinite price. He, God, the creator, became creature to redeem us. Let that soften your heart. You'll be able to Sabbath. You'll be able to delight. You'll be able to stop, rest, delight, and worship. So church, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real Sabbath. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's an unforced rhythm of grace. It's freedom. It's living life at an elite level as we pursue to follow Jesus as best as we can. Now, the early church, the early church knew how to stop, rest, delight, and worship. In fact, they would stop, and rest once a week together, over, not, not just on Sabbath, but over a meal. They would delight and mourn what Jesus had done. And then they would worship through a reverent time of communion. And so church, today we have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to, to understand that God paid it all for us. So that we could have freedom Galatians 5.1 says that Jesus did not set us free, or did not, did not, yeah, Jesus did not die so that we could just go on submitting ourselves to a bunch of slavery. No, he came to set us free. And the first lesson he taught Israel as he brought them out of Egypt was that they would be free. And so he gave them Sabbath. Hope you were inspired by today's message, and we would love to hear from you. If you would like to contact one of our pastors, find out more about what we believe, or for information about our service times in Marietta, Georgia, please visit www.mariettaadventist.org. If you were inspired by today's message, please share it with your friends. It is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are available.